The Your Mark on the World show is made possible by our sponsors, including ACLA Impact, Seed Equity Ventures, and Clean Energy Advisors. Welcome to Your Mark on the World, bringing you another changemaker with champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Mark on the World show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe, and I'm a contributor at Forbes covering social entrepreneurship and impact investing. Today, we're fortunate to have with us Billy Starr, the founder of the Pan Mass Challenge, an extraordinary story, an extraordinary organization. Uh, Billy's helped to raise $546 million for cancer research donated to the Dana-Farber Institute over the last 37 years. Billy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Devin. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, we're thrilled to have you and appreciate you taking the time. Billy, I want to go back in time. I mean, uh, it's so incredible to be looking at what you've done from this vantage point. Half a billion dollars raised for cancer. Uh, But 37 years ago, it's 1980. Biking isn't really a big thing even. How did this all come about? Tell us the story. Uh, you're certainly right about that. And uh, like anybody else, this is no overnight success. But um, in the 70s, in quick order, I had lost my mother, uncle, and cousin to cancer. I was just graduating college, uh, I graduated in 73. And it took a while for this to really uh, ferment in my mind. But I, whatever the skill set that was eventually more clear, I had wanted to use perhaps my athletic background, my sales skills uh, to, to merge the idea that this, this category, which we now call social philanthropy, um, which was really pretty embryonic if, if existed at all, and create a bikeathon. And I say a bikeathon because I wasn't even really a biker in 1980. Uh, It was one of a dozen sports I would do, Uh, but I thought there was some magic in it. And I started doing long-distance cycling, and I thought it was cool. So in 1980 only, uh, after three years of sort of biking to the end of Cape Cape Cod here in Massachusetts, I created the first annual Pan Mass Challenge, which rode that year only 220 miles from, uh, from Springfield to Provincetown. In 1981, we moved permanently to Sturbridge, Mass., to make it a little easier. I would tell you with great humor, but truthfully, in 1980, um, everybody, all 36 riders got lost. We ran out of food, and the ferry broke down, so we had no way home. (laughs) While I was ceremoniously and with good nature thrown into the harbor in Provincetown, on the bus ride home, People were going next year, next year, you know, what I could do, what they could do to help me improve this product. And I really, I think I heard that this event was filling something in their life, something different than family and work, that there was this third component of the human condition, uh, call it philanthropy, call it volunteerism, but that this was something that was part of that made people feel better about themselves and, um, you know, was something that they should uh, 
be making part of their lives. So it's interesting that it seemed to that first event that you didn't necessarily plan on being an annual event uh, created an annual event because the people, the participants wanted it to be. They wanted you to succeed. I, I think that's that's a fascinating insight, uh, that not only for this circumstance and this story, but because of the, um, the implications that has for other uh, social entrepreneurs. So, so Bill, well, I mean, it's true. I mean, it was, you know, I was a liberal arts kid. This was not anything about a business model. I had no underwriting. Um, this was simply, um, <laughs> am I, am I there, Devin? My you're, life. You're, you're, we can still hear you. You can just keep right on going, Billy. Okay. Um, that the, you know, that there was no plan for 1981. But I felt strongly that uh, this was something I could improve upon. And uh, I went to work on building it out. And quite frankly, it was very under the radar, very modest. If I had had probably more known business skills, then uh, perhaps I could have done a better job of growing more rapidly. But truthfully, there was a culture being built. And I was very good at seemingly getting volunteerism and in-kind donations, products to help pay for the underwriting of this event. Well, at the same time, the fundraising aspect was build, building modestly. It took us 10 years before the PMC ever gave $1 million in one year. And when that year uh, did come around, I knew we were going to hit that mark. Our campaign that year was be one in a million. And uh, we did. We gave $1 million. And now I can say to my friends in the media, man, we're, we're a million-dollar event. And in 1989, that was a big deal. And it was already the largest single event for the Jimmy Fund, the fundraising arm of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Matter of fact, we were their largest event by 1984. But still very under the radar in terms of where the Athon industry has come over the last 37 years. It's really a, a remarkable, remarkable story. Uh, among the challenges you face every year is trying to uh, organize uh, in-kind donations and volunteers. That, that must be a tremendous amount of work. How does that come together? How do you organize that effort? Well, it built slowly. I worked first of all, I worked alone for 10 years before I hired my first full-time person. We are now 10 full-time people, five summer interns, a head staff that's a year-round volunteer group of 10 that handles the major hub sites and logistics on the weekend, and over 4,000 registered volunteers supporting an infrastructure of 12 routes, 46 towns, and 360 miles of infrastructure, all happening on one weekend, the first full weekend of August. So I've had a lot of help through the years. Um, I think at a certain point, I became pretty good at starting to delegate. But, you know, the PMC was a real performance event. People with good intentions might have come, might have left, but the ones who made an impact and could build it into their lives, stayed. 
And, you know, this, this is what happened by now in my, what I call my fourth generation of head staff. This group has been with me on average 15 years or more. Pretty remarkable for any volunteer group. Oh, yeah. The level of, these are positions you pay for. People running your road coordinators, your medical, uh, things that I think anyone who's been associated with event programming or the Athon industry recognizes uh, in what's now, a, frankly, a $5 billion industry in which you can run, walk, swim, bike, hike for every good cause under the sun. Now, well, why do you think it is that people commit so much to your organization? Is it the connection to cancer? Is it your, uh, your, your personality, your character? Is it the, the, the fun of the race, uh, the combination of those factors? What, what catalyzes all that volunteerism? Well, I'd like to say it's all those things. I think, first of all, my story is everybody's story. I hate to say that I was ahead of my time in terms of losing a loved one to cancer. What I did about it was perhaps different, but I am typical of my constituency. And in that respect, I ride and raise money like everybody else for 37 years. I've probably personally done about a million and a half, a million eight, somewhere in that. And, you know, I don't ask of anybody else what I uh, don't ask of myself. Secondly, um, you know, since 1990, we were passing through 90 cents on the dollar. Now, for the 11th consecutive year, we're passing through 100% of all fundraising revenue. What that means, of course, is we've got our entire year-round operation underwritten. And that's incredibly motivated to the amateur fundraiser. In our case, merging the PanMass Challenge with the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute as its sole beneficiary, is clarifying it is New England's most popular charity and its fundraising arm, the Jimmy Fund, its best-known charity. Cancer is everybody's story, and unfortunately, I suspect it's everybody's fear. So raising money for cancer research is not in and of itself difficult. I might not have said that 20 years ago, but uh, looking at the results of our group, and quite frankly, uh, how we've all grown up and losing loved ones, um, everybody gets it and realizes, particularly in the last 10 to 12 years of government funding freezing, that this is falling to us. All of the public initiatives that people are vested in need to be seeded so that we can get our best and brightest into the cancer centers doing the work we want done as perhaps as opposed to them going into banking, you know, and um, here in Boston. If you look back on this 37 years, Billy, what do you you see as your greatest accomplishment in this work? Well, you know, you can't get away from the money, you know, at at over a half a billion dollars. And I do need to say, because I see that the uh, social media is, going wild with the headline of this show. Uh, We haven't made our goal yet. We are on our way to our goal, and I strongly suspect we will make our $46 million goal or more, but we just crossed $40 million uh, today. 
So I do want to say that to the audience. So the money's important. Well, we're over 58% of the, of the Jimmy Fund's annual revenue is coming from this independent 501c3 nonprofit, 100% dedicated to Dana-Farber. So as we're fond of saying, there's a lot riding on us. And I would like to say again, I am typical of my constituency, a bunch of highly motivated, largely A-type people who want to drive through the bottom line of uh, turning the crank of progress. And, you know, as non-medical people, if this is what we can do with our athletic ability, our cycling ability, or our sweat equity. Well, Billy, where do you go from here? Well, as you may have heard and inquired, you know, we're, we're about reaching capacity on what the PMC weekend it, uh, itself can hold. But I should add, you know, all of our hub sites operating on full cylinders. We have a less, uh, um, we have a Sunday ride that can grow. We have a kids rides program, some 35 rides all over New England and other parts of the country that can grow. And we've recently in the past year started an indoor cycling experience called the Resolution, uh, a January event um, that we think has a lot of potential. So these are areas we're looking at. Oh, fantastic. Well, Billy, I want to ask you a couple of a little bit more personal questions just to tap into your insights as a successful social entrepreneur. But clearly you're a role model to millions of people who uh, benefit from your work. Who do you look up to as a role model? Yeah, there were two names uh, uh, that occurred to me when this question was put to me. Um, and one of them I know that you've interviewed is Patrick Byrne of Overstock.com. He's a remarkable guy. I'm not going to go into uh, extensively about Patrick. There are a lot of good stories about me and Patrick. Uh, I'll just tell the quick one of how he came into my world. I had read his article, and actually I believe it was Forbes of Fortune, about Patrick in 1999. And he was a three-time cancer survivor. He had biked cross-country three times. He was an MBA from Stanford. He was a martial arts master. And I, I just summed about it, the article. I said, i got to reach out to this guy. And this, this time, you know, email, et cetera, was in its infancy. And I got his email address. I set up an appointment. He took the call, and I babbled on for a few minutes. And uh, he said, send me some material, and that he was going away. He did. And I heard from him an email, and the, the exact words were, I'm incredibly impressed with what you do, Billy. How might I serve you? And without a speed bump between my, uh, my fingers and my brain, I typed, I want you to bike from Salt Lake, where his offices work, to Cape Cod, and I want you to give me a million dollars. And I didn't hear from him for two weeks, at which point I thought that maybe it was incumbent upon me to follow up. And I was obviously a little embarrassed because I had too much time to think. And uh, I, don't want, I don't want other people to think this necessarily always works. But I followed up, and I was sort of almost giggling. Uh, as I said to him, so Patrick, what do you think? And he hesitated. And like a samurai out of the Old West, he said to me, 
I don't think there was anything inappropriate about your ask. But if you don't mind, I'll start from San Francisco. <laughs> it's been a relationship. Uh, and uh, I would like to say on our, our website somewhere, there is his 2000 speech at the Kennedy Library in Boston, which to this day was the most moving, brilliant speech ever delivered. So much so that I watched my friends rush the stage when it was over. It was quite moving as he merged the story of his survival with his mother, his Buddhist thoughts, and his wrestling coach, Joe. It was simply brilliant. I would mention also uh, Chief Justice Samuel Zoll, who was my mentor, who died six years ago, a man of great wit, wisdom, and integrity, who saw something in me as far back as 1984. And uh, he knew better than I the world I was entering of leadership and growing something that had some vision. And he was great counsel for me his entire life. And uh, his great loss for me, he died of cancer. He wrote in the PMC since 1984. And as you'd like to say, he was my advisor without portfolio uh, as he helped me tread some of the waters that I had to politically to grow this event as I saw fit. And he was a wonderful man. Yeah, oh, that's great. Well, Billy, as you think back to 1980, you pointed out yourself that a lot of people in the same situation that you were in don't do what you did. What you did was different, unique, powerful. Why? Why did you feel compelled to be the one who did something more than think about how tragic cancer was? I think I need to be clear. My One of my lens on the world is I don't think I did anything heroic. I did what I did. had no risk. Um, not to me. Not to the kind of guy I was. I didn't have investors' money. I worked out of my father's house for 15 years. I don't recommend it. But that's what I did because I grew very modestly. And quite frankly, uh, it was a mitzvah for me and my dad with Parkinson's and uh, – his world had shut down, and the PMC brought all this life into our household. And it ended up being quite a, a beautiful thing. But, you know, it lit me up. And it, obviously, I had certain skills that I wanted to apply. Um, but that really was hindsight. I had an initiative. I was kind of, my brother would have said I was drifting at the time, career-wise. And he would have been right. And, uh, you know, I dabbled in a lot of things, journalism, sales, coaching, um, teaching, and getting a master's degree. But nothing lit me up until I did this. And, you know, when I do and I often speak to younger people, and ironically, most everyone's younger these days, you know, <laughs> Uh, one, one, of the, one of the comments I make, which is now also a common theme, is that you have the right to fail totally. You will never be this young or less invested in the world as the day that you get a mortgage, have a family. It makes risk-taking more difficult. And so that was me. I, you know, I wasn't married. I didn't have children. My father bought me lunch, you know. 
uh, I had a roof over my head and it lit me up. I wanted to make this thing big. And after the 1980 event, I, I almost overnight went from saying this was a one-time thing to I'm going to make this thing big, whatever that meant. Yeah. And it's been a process as, as anyone who's been successful at that. I don't think there's any singular. If there was a singular eureka moment, it was in April of 1980 when I said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a ride across the state. And then everything else was building the ingredients of this remarkable pie of which so many people have taken a hand in making it better than my original vision. Oh, that's great. Now, now, Billy, we like to ask all of our guests for a, an impact hack, a tip that would help us to do more good in the world. What's yours? Communicate well. Uh, I think, I, you know, when 19, go back to the earliest years, when we grew from a 40,000 gift to a 60,000 gift, I said, that's 50% growth. We're on the right path. Communicate your successes. Communicate your needs. Um, again, I've been the beneficiary of a huge, what we call, in-kind donation, product, and um, intelligence. You know, people and skill sets, and I did it whether it was everything from oranges to trucks to communications to contacts at local towns that I needed to grow hub sites or water stocks, all of this I was putting out. But I was also putting it out in the era before, you know, uh, web technology. Web technology changed everything. You know, I used to go to the post office every day hoping someone was registering for the PMC. And it would take us to June or July to get these hundreds of emails. Now we sell out in February um, at obviously big numbers. So the web has been remarkably helpful in communicating better than ever with people. But, you know, I'm passionate about what I talk about. And we bring results. PMC is result-oriented. I was always sharing about the pass-through. I was always sharing about the gift. I was always sharing about the innovation in the event. It wasn't a democracy, but I was sharing and looking for input. Yeah. So, Billy, one last communication before you go. Tell us how people can learn more uh, how they can, in, you know, participate in the PanMass Challenge next year and how they can connect with you personally. Well, pmc.org, that's our website. And there's a whole bunch of um, information on there about the PMC. Registration uh, opens the third week in January, typically, or maybe the second this year. We may be upping it. For first-year riders, we have a three-tier entry bracket for alumni and then open registration. I'm Billy at PMC.org. I'm easy to reach. And I should also say, you can still make a donation to the PMC. We are not at $46 million yet. Uh, so that I know your, your whole show is very optimistic. Um, but I don't want people to think our work is done. Our fundraising deadline is October 1st. And, uh, you know, the PMC has been fortunate. We're considered a transformational event. I think we are. Uh, one, one MBA and uh, philanthropy wrote, the PMC is a unique product 
people will pay a lot of money to be in this environment because they can't replicate it themselves. And so I would say to everyone out there, come see why that is or is not true. We think it is. Great. Well, Billy, thank you so much for being with us today. We wish you every success with next year's event. Thank you, Devin. It was a pleasure to be here. All righty. Let's do some good. At the intersection of financial services and social media, Gate Global Impact, GGI, uses new market infrastructure to facilitate investments in organizations that deliver a societal, environmental, and or a cause-related benefit in addition to a financial return. Seed Equity Ventures is a registered broker-dealer with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and a member of both FINRA and SIPC providing investment banking services to startups globally. Seed Equity's mission is to find the best and brightest entrepreneurs and connect them with global investors. Clean Energy Advisors creates investment opportunities in the renewable energy sector that provide clients with predictable income, preservation of capital, and positive impact. Clean Energy Advisors is committed to providing clients with investment opportunities with both market rates of return and measurable impact. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded via Google Hangouts on Air and is available at youtube.com forward slash Devonthorpe. Subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher or iTunes by searching for Your Mark on the World. Every weekday, Devon hosts a CEO, celebrity, entrepreneur or other changemaker here on the Your Mark on the World show to inspire and prepare you to make your mark. Devon is a champion of social good, writing about, advocating for and advising people who are doing good. He is a Forbes contributor who is a recognized thought leader in social entrepreneurship, impact investing, and crowdfunding. To book Devin as a speaker, visit devinthorpe.com. Learn more about Devin's work at yourmarkontheworld.com.